Hi, everyone. I'm coming to you from North Carolina at the National Association of Medical Examiners meeting. You may be wondering why I'm here, but medical examiners play a huge role in autism research. They work with organ and tissue donation services and with families on tissue donation for research during the most stressful time for a family. They can also help with postmortem brain tissue donation that is so needed for autism research, not just in families with autism, but those without. Remember, it's just as important that non-affected brains are studied. So I'm here on behalf of the Autism Brain Net to help figure out what medical examiners need to get more involved in autism research. Before I get to the most exciting part of the week, which was an online symposium that ASL helped organize, I will mention that a study published this week, funded in part by Safe Minds and the National Autism Association, reinforced that there's no association between vaccines and autism. This analysis was part of the same study I presented in June, which showed that early developing behaviors of monkeys exposed to vaccines with and without thimerosal showed no difference to those who were given water instead of vaccines. This time, though, they looked at the brains and the cells of the brain in these monkeys. A study like this is possible only because we know about the cells in the brains of people with autism. How? By studying them. In another plug to register for the Autism Brain Net, I'm going to say that this is yet another question that could only be answered by studying postmortem brain tissue. Huge epidemiological samples were not necessary. The study compared the cells and brain structure of monkey exposed to the same regimen of vaccines that humans get at approximately the same time. What did they see? No difference. So there's that. Another no-association study in autism. Since two well-known autism organizations funded the study, hopefully they'll stand by it. I provided some quotes for it in Newsweek, which did a good job about breaking down some of the controversies of this project. Now to the really exciting part. On Thursday, October 1st, Autism Science Foundation, Autism Speaks, and the Escher Fund for Autism organized an online symposium called Early Germline Events in the Heritable Etiology of Autism Spectrum Disorders. In other words, where do these mutations come from and can it be from the sperm and the egg? Almost 250 people registered and honestly, I was thrilled. When do you get 250 people interested in the same autism topic in the same room? I mean, come on, what did we do before the internet? If you missed it, never fear. The whole two-hour presentation and panel discussion, together with the question and answer period, is found on the ASF podcast feed. If you subscribe to iTunes, it's probably already downloaded on your phone. So what's the germline? So human embryo and prenatal development begins with the fertilization of the egg and the sperm and ends with the birth of the child. Therefore, human reproduction and child health can be thought of a continuum with the genesis of the sperm and the egg through embryo development and after birth. The germline, then, is the precursor to the sperm and the egg and the sperm and the egg. It's the cells in the organism that become the sperm and the egg in the next generation. The first speaker, Dr. Amanda Clark at UCLA, has dedicated her life on how the germline becomes a sperm and the egg and how the sperm and the egg then pass on genetic information to cells generation after generation. Lots of things happen from the time the sperm and the egg meet until an embryo is formed. Not genetically, but epigenetically. The DNA is the same, but genes can be turned on and off, causing things like imprinting. And imprinting is how DNA from the mother is expressed compared to DNA of the father. Remember, you have the whole DNA from the mother and the whole DNA from the father, and it becomes one set of DNA. Problems in this phase will lead to developmental disorders like Angelman and Prader-Willi. Development of different stages of the germline are dependent on epigenetic mark. That is, not the DNA sequence, but the way genes are turned on or off. In some ways, methylation, which is a chemical group attached to DNA to turn it on and off, 
protects the genome as it's passed from parent to child. So Ryan Wen from SickKids Hospital in Toronto put this into the context of autism. The genes that control for methylation and chromatin remodeling are disproportionately affected in individuals with autism. So the themes between the two were that genes present in kids with autism may not be present in their parents, and this may be driven by alterations in the germline very early on, not just in the sperm and the egg, but before sperm and egg are even formed. As Dr. Clark mentioned, the period of what is called demethylation in the germline may be a particularly susceptible period for environmental exposures. The panelists pointed out that the epigenetic modifications may even uncover new genes that are impacted in disease, but not specifically mutated. This may be happening in autism, particularly when you see that siblings who both have autism also have different genetic profiles. My take-home message is what I've been repeating for a while, so you won't be surprised. Researchers should no longer be pitting genetics and the environment against each other. It's not genes or environment it's genes and environment. And I have to fess up, the brilliant Stefan Sanders from UCSF said it, so I can't be totally wrong. Also, Stefan pointed out that these epigenetic markers can be different in blood versus brain, so studying brain tissue is very important. We got an unsolicited plug there for Autism BrainNet. I will also say, though, blood is a really good surrogate for brain, and we may not have ever the same number of brain tissue that we have for epidemiological studies. I wanted to get the same perspective from the two other organizers. So first I asked Jill Escher, for people that missed the webinar, what do you want people to know? You know, what's so great about a webinar like this is it just starts to connect some dots um, that may be resulting in these very mysterious um, autism spectrum disorders that we see today. Um, I just wanted to make a, a couple of comments um, about the, the general themes presented. And you know, the first one that, that came up several times is about the particular vulnerabilities, you know, and the unique uh, biology of our germ cells, which is very, very different for several reasons than our somatic cells, which is our body cells apart from our um, sperm and egg and their progenitors. As Patrick mentioned, we really don't test and we really don't regulate uh, the effects on our germline of uh, any number of chemical agents. And to that, I would say chemical is a broad term. And, uh, you know, it's a big um, blind spot in the way we think about toxicity and the way we regulate medical interventions and, and, our, and our chemicals. So I think that was a, a big takeaway. Another is that, boy, you know, there are a lot of things that could go wrong. So we're seeing a lot of these de novo events in autism families, and you know what's precipitating that? Um, I think it could be any number of things. As I, I see, as I said, I seem to learn something new every day. Could it arise um, because of that destabilization um, that occurs? Could it arise in all these non-coding parts of the DNA in some mysterious way that dysregulates um, early neurodevelopment down the line? And what about the role of imprinting? Um, that's gigantic. If there are errors in the imprinted genes, we know that abnormal neurodevelopment, sometimes catastrophically abnormal neurodevelopment, can result. I do hope maybe we can carve out uh, some of the more significant of these questions and really, um, you know, go into more depth in future webinars. And I ask the same thing of Matt Pletcher, VP of Genomic Discoveries at Autism Speaks. I think one of the most exciting things about 
the seminar that we had last week was the fact that it brought together two areas of science that, unfortunately, too often aren't thought about as a pair when they really should, especially in the space of autism. Uh, Ryan Yoon from the Hospital for Sick Children in Toronto, they pointed to the fact that a large amount of the genetic drivers for these for autism comes from de novo mutations. A lot of that work has been done just to identify this list of genes, and it has really, really helped progress the thinking around the molecular causes of autism. But it still leaves you with the question of, of where do those de novo mutations come from? What are the potential sources for those de novo mutations? If we want to take this causal relationship back even further, you're talking about mutations that didn't exist in either parents and really only arose for the first time in the developing individual who had autism. And I think that's the exciting thing about the talk from a from Dr. Clark in this symposium was it begins to position us the step ahead of where all the genetic research has been done. It takes us a step further to start thinking about the alterations that happen in not just the developing fetus, the developing embryo, but even earlier than that in the sperm and the egg cells that eventually made the individual that, that are responsible for the formation of this individual who had autism, recognizing that that genetic code that made that individual existed long before they did, that that DNA, that exact DNA that made them up, existed before they did. And there are multiple opportunities for those changes to arise. You know, as one of our commenters said, even though we know that there are things that can change the genetic code in these early developmental stages, and we know that they can change epigenetic marks, we still don't know a lot when it comes to the drivers and the causes of autism. And so, again, this is an exciting area, but one where we need to think about a lot more and we need to put some more effort to really begin to get where I think we all want to be. I think we can all agree that this is an understudied and a very important area of research. Thank you, Jill, and thank you, Matt, for those very, very insightful comments. And thank you all who saw the online symposium. If you didn't, it's on the ASF feed. Talk to you soon.